0: If somehow world news escaped you this week, um, there was an ISIS terrorist shooting last Saturday night. Really, it was early Sunday morning. It was just after midnight last Sunday. At a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, 49, I believe is the number, Uh, people were murdered. It was a Muslim man who's here in America, swore allegiance to ISIS, shot people until the police arrived and killed him. So this is a collage of the pictures of those, the people who died last Sunday in Orlando. I guess it's it's 49. Every one of these is a person that God created. Every one of these is someone who Jesus died for their sins. Due to the fact that they were where they were, doing what they were doing, it is nearly certain that all of them rejected that. And they are all now burning in hell. And it is sealed eternity. Their chance is gone and over. And that is not something that makes God happy. Using Jesus' parable as our reference, these people are not, they did not cease to exist. They are still very much alive. They are not concerned with the fact that they are murdered. They are screaming for somebody to warn their friends. I'm talking about Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus. They are... Beyond our imagination, they are in torture for their sins that they refused Jesus' payment for. But they are still very much concerned with the people that they care about here. It's up to us. No matter how much somebody hates to hear it, it is up to us to speak the truth. Because Jesus did not want a single one of these folks in hell. Not a single one of them. The ISIS terrorist that did this said, and I quote, the West must be cleansed of its filth. And that is 100% true. True. But there is nothing more anti Christ than killing someone because they're a sinner. ISIS and all other Muslims claim to worship the same God that Christians and Jews worship, the God of Abraham. And clear over here in this spectrum of belief in God and who he is and what he wants and what he requires and what he will reward, we've got the imams and ayatollahs in theology that says God is righteous, God hates sinners, the world has to be cleansed and purified and they want to set up what they call their caliphate which is their word for the kingdom of heaven on earth. They want to establish Sharia law, which is kill all gays and stone all adulteresses. And, and they want to set up a religious utopia by their definition. They had a chance to do it in Afghanistan, and it was nowhere near a utopia. But they, their definition of God is that God hates anyone who is sinning. And that person must die And I am the hand of God to do it. And God will reward me in the afterlife for what I do. Clear on the other end of the spectrum of belief about God and who He is and what He wants and what He requires and and how He thinks and feels is clear over here on the other end of the spectrum. Is we have pastors who say God does not judge any sin, there is no hell. God that we have no reason to fear God whatsoever. There is no punishment. Morality has changed from when the Bible was written. So we have gay pastors and we have pastors that teach there is no hell and there is no punishment and that God will accept everyone regardless of who we were or what we did. Where is the truth? <laughs> you couldn't get more far apart than those than those two. Ideas is that God is angry and wants to kill everybody who isn't perfect or God will accept everybody regardless and there is no punishment, there is no hell, there is no condemnation, nothing. It's just love, the rainbow kind of love where everything is just smiles and my little ponies. Well, here's what Jesus said. Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus said that when he returns and he's judging everyone that's ever lived, He says, there will be many people, many people who think that they know me and I know them and I will say, no, I I didn't ever know you. Depart from me. Other scriptures, he says, be cast into outer darkness or other scriptures say, into the lake of fire. Jesus says, there will be many people not everybody who says I am their Lord, am I actually their Lord? It says many people. If you need to look up the definition of many, you can go do that. It means a lot, <laughs> not a few, but a lot. John Bevere claims to have had a vision of this early on in his life and his ministry that he says defines everything he does and everything he's preached in the last 20 years. He saw a vision of this. I don't remember if it was a dream or a waking vision or whatever, but he said it was an uncountable sea of people who came joyfully up to Jesus, ready to come into heaven. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, I never knew you. He said, and the look on their face was absolute shock. They were utterly clueless. They totally thought they were going to waltz right into heaven. And they were completely taken off guard, completely shocked. And that turned to terror as the angels cast them into the lake of fire. I don't want to be in that group. I don't want to be deceived that I am a believer, that I'm a Christian, that I'm in a relationship with Jesus when I'm really not. And the terrifying thing about deception is that it's deceiving. You know somebody who, who is deceived totally thinks they're right. And you know they're wrong. But you can't convince them. I don't want to be in this group. So my question today is, how do I know that I'm not in this group? Because every person in ISIS is totally convinced they are righteous and holy and on the march for God. They are totally convinced to the point they will blow themselves up thinking God is going to reward them. They are so totally convinced. They're not doing it for for some half-hearted we go to the mosque once in a while, kind of religion. There's a lot of people in church on Sunday for that reason. But ISIS is not doing what they're doing because they're half-hearted about it. And these people over here, they're totally convinced that what the Bible says is sin is no longer sin. They're totally convinced that God will just love and accept everybody without any consequences whatsoever. They're totally convinced To the point that they hate anybody who says anything different. Things get violent. I don't want to be in this group. How can we know? How can we know? That's my question this morning. How can we know that we know that we know that we know that we're in Christ? Because there's a whole lot of people that think they know the truth. That we would disagree with. How can we know that we know? God tells us. God tells us that we can know. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. There's your answer. Do you see it? Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love each other. Talking about loving other people. Everyone who loves other people is born of God and knows God. How can you know that you know the real truth, that you know God for real? You're loving your neighbor. You're loving your Christian brothers and sisters. Everyone who loves other people knows God. He who does not love other people is the context for this. We're not talking about some undefined love for God. We're talking about practical, where the rubber meets the road, love for people. Anyone who does not love does not know God. No one in ISIS knows God. They do not represent God. Can I get more than two amens on that? Okay, thank you. No one in Isis knows God. He who does not love does not know God. There is nothing more anti-Christ than killing people because they're sin or because they're Jews or because they're Christians. 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and you're here this morning probably because you think that. You think you know God, right? I do. I hope you're here and you do. If you're not... I would like to introduce you to him. But if we say that we have in fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If I say that I know God, but I'm living in darkness of any sort, meaning hidden sin or lies of any sort, I'm lying. I don't know him. But if I walk in the light, as he is in the light, if I say that I know the light, which is truth in Scripture, light always represents truth. If I say I know the truth and I have light, I have understanding or revelation. The proof will be we have fellowship with one another. What's that? We love each other. It's the same thing as the previous verse. We have fellowship with one another and cannot be separated. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin we are walking in fellowship in relationship in love with each other and we are getting cleaner by the day not excusing our old life and bringing it into the church come on the proof that i have fellowship with him is that i am in love and relationship connection with other christians I am loving my neighbor, I am loving the people around me, and I am being cleansed from my sin. That's the proof. This group over here doesn't want to walk in love. This group over here doesn't want to be cleansed from their old sins. They just want to continue on and say that we're Christians, but they aren't. 1 John 2.10 He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. There it is again. If you love your Christian brother, is the context of this verse, Christian brothers and sisters, you're loving the family of God, you are in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling. That word stumbling can mean, the word is "scandalon" in the Greek, it can mean deception. If you are living in love, you're not going to be deceived. If you are living in real love, you're not going to be deceived. 1 John 3, 14. We know, hey, we can know that we have passed from death into life. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to be scared that we're in that group that'll come up to Jesus and he says, Oh no, no, I never knew you. We can know. For absolute certain, we can know. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Who's the brethren? It's the church. It's our Christian brothers and sisters. Because we love. He who does not love his brother abides in death. If there's anybody you need to forgive, do it now. Don't wait till the end of the sermon. Do it now. If there's anybody you need to serve or take care of, do it now. 1 John 3:16 through 19 says, "By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren." But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and we shall assure our hearts before him. Come on, we can know that we're in the truth, and we can have assured hearts before Jesus. We can go before him at judgment day knowing we're in him and he is in us. Knowing we took care of business in this life, do not have to be scared, we can know. How can we know I loved in actual deed and truth, not just attending church and saying it. Yes. How can you know you actually loved indeed? You gave up your stuff for somebody else. It's measurable. It's practical. It's earthly. It's physical. It is not some undefined well I love God or I have these tender feelings toward the people in my church or I'm being patient with the people in my church that I don't like. I know how it is. That isn't the love that God requires. God requires measurable practice. Definable love. Are you taking care of people? In a real way. Don't just love in word love in deed and in truth are you actually taking care of people that is how we can assure our hearts that we know the truth that i'm not just going to church i'm not just saying that i'm a christian but i can remember in the last month eight times that i've taken care of somebody if you can't you better ratchet it up i'm totally serious If you are selfish with your time or your money, you are not saved. I'm not joking. I mean like every other day there will be somebody you're praying with or encouraging or prophesying to or giving them money or taking care of them or meeting them in their disaster of a marriage or their sickness or their children problems or whatever is going on. Give your time and money away. If you aren't You better take a serious look on whether you are actually loving in deed and in truth or just saying that you're a good Christian. Yeah, but bitch, I got a job and a life. Yes, and you're supposed to lay it down. We're all busy. Jesus didn't mention if you're busy, you're exempt from that lay down your life thing. There are needs to be met. and Everybody's going to do that in a different way, of course. Your service to people is going to, or the church or God is going to look different than somebody else's. But it better be very regular. It's measurable. We cannot just say that we're Christians and say that we love God and love people. But there isn't any actual proof of it in your checkbook or in your calendar. Ah, now it's getting real quiet. Mitch, it was okay that you said to love people, but don't define that. By the way, this is, remember John is one of the two brothers that Jesus called the sons of thunder. And they wanted to kill the people that rejected Jesus. Remember that? They went into a town and the town rejected Jesus and John and James say, let's call down fire on them and burn them all. Come on. Jesus had two ISIS members in his disciples of 12. (laughs) Seriously. And Jesus said, you do not know what spirit you are of. That's not me. That isn't the Holy Spirit. Come on. ISIS is not holy. They are from hell. I mean that literally. We'll see it in just a second. John calls them the children of the devil. John so completely repented of who he was in his natural flesh that he becomes the apostle that writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, which are all about what? Love. I mean, it's so sappy, dripping, oozing with love. If you're not in the right mood, you can't read it. And this is the guy that wanted to kill sinners. For rejecting Jesus. Just fry them all, Jesus. He so completely got who Jesus was. He got When he got born again and, and filled with the Holy Spirit, he loved people. And it is what he wrote about. He uses the word love in his gospel way more than the other three gospels. And 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are all about loving people. And here he says... The way that we can assure our hearts that we can know that we are in Christ is that you have loved people where the rubber meets the road. Did you take care of the needs of the people around you? And Jesus said family doesn't count because everybody takes care of their family. He said there's no reward for taking care of the people who love you and are in your family and will take care of you. You take care of the people who cannot pay you back. The people who are your enemies, the people who don't like you, you love them people who will never ever be able to pay you back or take care of you in, in return, friends and family, of course everybody loves them. So what is this love that God requires? Because there's a crowd over here that says love wins and everything, but the, the definition of love is so perverted it isn't God. This definition over here of righteousness is so perverted that it isn't God. How do we know what this love really is? Well, 1 John 4 16 says, God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. If you live in love, God lives in you. And you know God. For sure, for real, you will not be a part of that group that calls Jesus Lord but really isn't saved. But again, to say that I love, there's got to be real, practical proof. I can't just say that my love is my feelings or my love is the fact that I accept everyone and I don't judge any sin. Love has a definition. Let's put it that way. God's love has a definition. When he says love people, this is it. The next verse. Second John verse 6. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. Come on. This is love. That we walk according to his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. The people who claim to be Christians, but are excusing their sin and totally unrepentant and say that God will not judge them for it, actually, scripture says, have nothing to do with someone who calls himself a Christian brother, but is living in sexual sin. Do not associate with them. There is no such thing as a gay Christian. Uh, Somebody may have temptation, somebody may have a past, somebody may have something they need to confess and repent, but somebody who is living in public, blatant, unrepented sin is not a Christian. And, And the Bible says have nothing to do with them. Don't even share a meal if they call themselves a Christian. The people of the world are not hypocrites. Go and be their friend. Love them into the kingdom but somebody claims to be a Christian and is excusing or covering up their sin have nothing to do with them. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. It's measurable proof, folks. We can't just say that we believe in Jesus or we have a feeling in worship and that's, well, yeah, I love God. No, are you actually obeying him? If you're not, you're not in Christ. If you are hiding sexual sin, if you are greedy, if you are lying, if you are covering up anything, You are not saved. That is the definition of hypocrisy. I'm not saying if you're doing those things and repenting, I'm saying if you are hiding them or excusing them, thinking Jesus will forgive you. You are in the group. He will say, go away. Oh, well, I love God and I go to church and I'm a good person I just have this one thing that I don't want to give up or quit. Sorry. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. There will be a very large group of people who went to church, who called Jesus Lord, and they will end up in hell. They will think they knew God, they will think other people thought they knew God. But by definition, they were hypocrites. Because they claimed that Jesus was Lord, they weren't actually obeying him. None of us is perfect, so quit trying to look like it. Confess your sin, bring it out into the light, and kill it. Rather than trying to act like it doesn't happen. Or that he will, for some reason, forgive you when you aren't actually repenting. When we confess our sin, when we repent, we will be saved. There's absolute acceptance and forgiveness when there's confession. When there's hiding, that is the definition of hypocrisy. If you know it's wrong and you're doing it anyway, or if you know you're supposed to be doing it and you're not, Hebrews says there is no longer payment for your sin. We can repent at any moment. He will forgive us. But we have to walk according to his commandments. So this group over here has a very fervent fire for the commands of God. But they have absolutely no love. This group over here says they're all about love. But they don't care what God has commanded. They're going to do whatever they want. And there isn't any consequences. God loves everybody. There's no hell. There's just a big hug. Do you see? We absolutely must have both. This is love that we obey his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. We cannot redefine morality for 2016 because this verse says the commandment as we heard it from the beginning. We're not redefining morality that all of a sudden now homosexuality isn't a sin anymore in 2016. Or hey, you know, God knows it's it's how the world works. He understands. No, he doesn't. As it was from the beginning. Obey those commands. That's love. The love of God. As it was from the beginning. Not rewriting history or rewriting morality or that God has evolved somehow along with us. It's not how it works. It isn't love to not tell our friends and our family and our coworkers and our classmates who don't know Jesus, who aren't obeying him. It isn't love to keep peace with them and let them go to hell. Do you all know who Penn and Teller are? The magicians, comedians? The, um, they're both atheists. And I don't know, the big tall one. I don't know if that's Penn or Teller. He's a pretty outspoken atheist. And he was asked one time about Christians and evangelism. And he said, Christians evangelizing doesn't bother me at all. He said, because they believe in a heaven and a hell. And he said, how much does, do they have to hate me if they believe that I will be damned to hell for eternity and they don't tell me? He said, I don't, okay, he's an atheist. He doesn't agree at all. But he says, if they really believe that with all, with all their heart, it doesn't bother me at all that they want to tell me about it. Because if they don't, how much do they have to hate me? It isn't love to be quiet. When somebody is running down the highway to hell. Because the love of God is to walk according to his commandments, as we have heard from the beginning, not as they are being redefined in 2016. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Here we go. If we're going to, love other, if we're going to say we're loving other people, we're laying down our life. To the point even of physical death. If that is what is required. There was some grotesquely unhinged pastor last Sunday in Northern California that said that what happened in Orlando was the will of God and that he was sad that the terrorists didn't kill everybody. That is as evil as it gets for a pastor to stand up and say that it was God's will for these people to die, to be murdered, and it's too bad they didn't all die. That is as anti-Christ as it gets, folks. Our assignment is to lay down our lives, not to kill other people, but to kill ourselves. I don't mean suicide. I mean we lay down our priorities, our time, our money, our relationships, even if that's what needs be. We let people hate us to speak the truth and to love them. We're the ones that give up our lives, not the other way around. That's real love is that we would die not only for our Christian brothers and sisters, but to take the gospel to people who don't know it, who haven't heard it, or even who don't want to hear it. So much of what gets called love and acceptance is really just the fear of man. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to come across as judgmental, so I'm not going to speak up and I'm going to excuse myself by calling it love. But it is the ultimate hatred. We can condemn the terrorist for pulling the trigger, but all he did was hurry up. What would happen anyway if we don't speak the truth? His evil was making it happen last Sunday. Our evil is letting it happen at all. 1 John 3.10 In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. There it is again. You want to know that you're in the right group when you come face to face with Jesus. Here's John. He doesn't pull any punches. The apostle of love does not mince words. There are children of God and there are children of the devil. And the difference is the ones who practice righteousness and the ones who love are the children of God. The ones who are in unrepentant sin and the ones who don't love other people are the children of the devil. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God. How can we know that we're walking in this love that God requires? When we love God and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. This is really simple stuff. It's really easy to understand. It's measurable, folks. John says we can assure our hearts we can know. Are you keeping his commandments? Are you loving your brother and sister? This group over here says they're keeping his commandments, but there is no love whatsoever. This group over here says they are all about love, but there is no keeping his commandments. I don't want to be in either group. I want to walk in the love of God and the fear of God. Acts says the church walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, surely, it says do not be deceived. There is surely a hereafter. And every one of us will be judged for our actions and the Bible promises us that anyone who confesses their sin and repents shall be saved yes, it is both it is not one or the other it is not an angry God who is in a hurry to get people in hell and it is not a God who will accept anyone and everything no matter what there is only one door into heaven and he is Jesus Christ And we come through in repentance, we come through in confession of our own sin, in living according to the laws of God and his commandments. And the number one and number two command are love. Love God and love your neighbor. In the real God kind of love that is righteous, that is obedient. You cannot separate love and obedience. Hebrews 6.10, I think, is the next verse. God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for all other believers as you still do. God is nothing if not totally practical. Here it is again. You want to know if you're loving God? Here he says, I'm not unjust. I see that you love me by loving your fellow believers. It's measurable, it's practical, it's very earthly and physical. It's not some ethereal feeling in worship or some sense of, well, I love God and and he loves me and I know we're cool. It's measurable. Are you loving the people around you, starting with your Christian brothers and sisters? Are you actually, in deed and in truth, taking care of people in connection and relationship with people then we know. In Luke 10, there's a Pharisee that comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That's the question this morning. How can I know that I'm in the group that knows Jesus? How can I know for sure? This Pharisee wanted to know the same thing. He says, Jesus, how can I know that I will inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, obey all the commandments. You know the commandments. And he says, yes, and I've kept them all. He kind of says the same thing that the rich young ruler says, you know, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor and And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. That's great. And then the Pharisee says he wanted to justify himself. So he says, but Jesus, who actually is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. He says, a man went from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was set upon by thieves and beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. And these two religious leaders come by and pass him, but a Samaritan who was an outcast, a racial outcast, a religious outcast to the Jews. This is a Jewish man lying on the side of the road. A Samaritan comes by, his enemy, a member of the people who have oppressed and cast out his people, and the Samaritan picks him up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, feeds him, gives him medical care, pays his bills, and sets him on the way to recovery. And then Jesus says to the Pharisee, after telling that story, he says, now, which one of those three was his neighbor? And the Pharisee knows he's been had. <laughs> As they, all, every single time they opened their mouth, Jesus made fools out of them. He says, it was the one who took care of him. He says, go and do likewise. The number one commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The number two commandment is love your neighbor. And the Pharisee asks, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, your enemy. The person that hates you because you're a Christian. You love them. You take care of them. Pay their bills. Give them actual physical care. There's no sending a check to a charity. You actually take care of the person. That's the love. That Jesus says, he requires. So when John says, if we claim that we know God, but we walk in darkness, we are lying. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have love, we have connection, we have relationship, we have friendship, we have care for each other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. No excuses for sin and no excuses for not loving. That's true Christianity. Nobody's sin gets excused and nobody's hatred or unforgiveness gets excused. We walk in love and we walk in real righteousness. Those are the people, when they say, Lord, Lord, Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that you? I said, is that you? If it's not you this morning and you need to repent for something, now's your chance. If you need to get on your knees right now and forgive somebody, repent to the Lord for unforgiveness or being unloving or being selfish with your time or your money, or being isolating yourself to hide sin, or excusing or justifying something, get it done right now. When we repent of our sin, we are instantly forgiven with joy. God is not scowling. He is not ready to throw anyone into hell. And he's never, ever, ever told anybody no who asked for forgiveness. I said he's never, ever said no to anybody who asked for forgiveness. So do it now if you need to. Get it done. If you're walking in love and in pureness of heart, praise God. If you're not, come into the light. Confess your sin and start loving in deed and in truth instead of just mouthing it. Instead of just going through the actions of coming to church. Being a good person on the surface get real. You do not want to be in that group that Jesus says depart from me I never knew you. You want to be in the group that said Jesus says well done good and faithful servants. You did really well. You took care of people you loved, your enemies you forgive the people that hurt you. You were gracious to the people that hated you. You lived in the light. When you sinned and when you blew it, you confessed it, you admitted, you cleaned up your mess, you took care of your business. Nobody's perfect. Quit trying to look like it. Confess your sin and be forgiven and be really, truly clean. Lord God, we thank you so much for your reassurance that we can know, that we know, that we know, that we know you. We don't need to live in fear of being deceived. We don't need to live in fear of judgment day but that you have given us very basic instructions, measurable instructions. Lord, forgive us for picking and choosing what we will obey. Lord, we commit right now to obey you in every command. Forgive us for excusing ourselves away and thinking that you will too. Lord, we also repent for anger or unforgiveness or hatred or judgment, condemning people, instead of inviting them to salvation. Lord, forgive us for unrighteous anger at the sinners of the world. Lord, we repent of our own sin and we pledge to love in true obedient love. We pledge to love those around us. We will love our families. We will love our Christian family. We will love our coworkers and our neighbors and our classmates. Please remove unforgiveness and fill us with your love for the people that are hard to love, for the people who mistreat us, for the people who hate us because we're Christians, for the people in our families that we got divided from. Lord, for anyone here who is blowing off your conviction, I ask that you fall in the fear of God right now. I ask that you bring the fire of your Holy Spirit and bring purity. Shine your bright light into the darkness and bring out into the light what needs brought out. Bring humility, bring confession, bring repentance, and bring righteousness and forgiveness and holiness and purity where there's been darkness and hiding and excusing. Lord, break through the lies and the excuses we use to justify our sin. Forgive us for saying that you will understand it. That you're okay with it. Thank you for your long suffering. Thank you for your patience. Thank you that you give us another opportunity to repent over and over and over again. We dare not take you for granted. We repent right now. Lord, we ask for healing and comfort in Orlando, the family and friends of these people who were murdered. Lord, there's so much animosity between that group and and your people. I ask somehow, Lord, that you bring a miracle to increase the kingdom of heaven in this event, what Satan meant for destruction and death and damnation. You bring grace and healing and repentance and life and freedom. Lord, it does not seem possible at all, but all things are possible with you. There is none beyond your salvation. Lord, we ask for you to break any plans that ISIS has for more of this, as they have said they do. Lord, bring into the light, expose the darkness, shine your spotlight in the secret places, in the secret plans. Expose them as your word said, Lord, that you will bring the plans of the wicked to naught. Please protect us. Don't let anyone else be murdered. Forgive us for our sins and heal our land. Lord, raise us up as we walk in unity and love. We will wear the glory that the Father gave to you. Raise us up, Lord, as a shining city on a hill, as a light in the darkness, where we will proclaim your truth. We will proclaim your name. And you said that as you are lifted up, you will draw everyone to yourself. So we ask you to do that, Lord. Lift up your church like a floodlight in the darkness, that people can run to the city of safe haven and find freedom and forgiveness and purity. Forgive us for not being pure, Lord. Wash your bride. Remove the spots. Lord, those who refuse to repent, remove them. Make your bride clean and ready for her groom so that you may return. Your spirit and your bride say, come, Lord, calm." Amen.